Welcome to the Inside Digital Transformation Podcast. Inside Digital Transformation explores how organizations of every size and shape are using technology today to survive and thrive in the face of relentless change. If you are a business or technology leader charged with making the most of digital transformation in your organization, then this podcast is for you. And now here's your host, Alan Bernard, a technology journalist, editor, and copywriter who has been covering the intersection of business and technology for over two decades. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. In this episode, I'm speaking with Beth Johnson, Chief Experience Officer of Citizens Bank, about how they are leveraging digital technologies as the backbone of their go-to-market strategy, and how they plan to use Gen AI, first on the back end, and then in more customer-facing roles, to further improve the overall customer experience. All right, well, Beth, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So since this is kind of a case study on how you guys are using digital uh, to enhance customer experiences, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about Citizens and then we'll go from there. Yeah, Citizens is a top 10 regional bank. We serve all different customer segments from uh, commercial clients to small businesses to our retail customers and wealth customers. And think of us as having those core deposit relationships and that everyday banking capability, but also more sophisticated lending products or advice products around wealth or M&A to our corporate customers. So we think of ourselves as a holistic uh, regional bank focused mainly in 14 key states, but about a third of our business is also national. So when we think about supporting businesses or some um, lending products like student lending, we operate across the country. The The Apple iPhone upgrade uh, program is, is part of Citizens. And so we've really been able to expand our reach. What do you mean by the Apple program? So we partner with Apple to provide financing on their cell phones in their buy now, pay later program. So if you have uh, in the Apple store, you do their Apple iPhone upgrade program. Citizens is the bank behind that behind that work. Oh, interesting. Okay. So what has that done for you? Uh, you kind of indicated that expanded your reach nationally, is it? Yeah. So nationally, we've used that business. We're a leader in student lending. So we help both people in school, but also refinance student loans nationally. And that's been a strength for citizens. And then on the commercial side, we have corporate market capability, capital market capabilities and M&A advisory corporate clients across the country as well. So about a third of our business is, is national versus in that sort of core 14 state regional footprint in the Northeast that we have. Right. So, and, and you bought some of that. I think there was some M&A recently. Uh, is that right? Yes. We recently bought both the HSBC uh, retail business in New York City. So their branches there, as well as investors bank shares in New York to enable to, us to strengthen in the New York City metro area, which is such an important financial market in, in the U.S., as you probably know. Right. Yeah, sure. Of course. Um, okay, so but the bulk of your business is with uh, is retail, right? Which individuals is that correct? Well, no, we're we're pretty we we do skew more retail than some of our peers, but we're about sixty percent in the consumer bank and about forty percent commercial, so a pretty significant commercial bank as well. How are you using digital then to uh, enhance? We'll start with the retail side, and then we'll move over to the uh, commercial side. Yeah, when I think about digital transformation, I think over the last five uh, years, it has just become part of the fabric of how we go to market and how we serve our customers. So really thinking about it in terms of how do we experience our bank? How do we think about the activities we want to do, whether that's through a digital channel in person? I think about virtual 
as uh, a virtual advisor experience is digital as well. So we're really re-engineering our experiences to be highly relevant to our customers and the way they want to bank with us um, and doing that uh, throughout all different experiences in the organization. And that's a key component of that digital transformation. And then the second side of it is really then enabling us to do that front to back. So how do I think about not just the front end and the experience you may have on your cell phone, but how do I use those tools to streamline our processes in the back end to, again, make things seamless, more efficient, and more effective with our end customers? How are you using digital technologies to do that? You know, you have apps, you have online banking, um, but that's kind of table stakes, right, for, for retail now these days. So maybe you kind of get into what are some of the other things that you're doing uh, to make that happen. Yeah, I think you put it exactly right. So when you looked, you know, five to seven years ago on what differentiated a bank, it could be through those basic uh, capabilities on your mobile app. Much of that today is table stakes. Everybody has the same functionality. I can take a picture of a check. I can manage my money. I can move my money. What we try to do now is identify experiences that are different that and that can really bring value to our customers. And one of the examples I like to use is in our home equity business. So we realized a couple of years ago that it was an antiquated process in the US. It takes over 45 days typically to get a home equity loan. Mm-hmm. It's not fast. It's not effective for what our customers needed. And it was a simple insight. So if you think about, I want to remodel my kitchen, I don't want to wait 45 days for the financing. If I've already found a contractor, I've picked out my tile, I know what you know appliances I want. But we took 45 days as a banking industry to be able to provide you with that service. And so we said, let's figure out if we can do this in seven days and really shorten the process. And when it's digital transformation that led it, it's a combination of digital tools, the ability to apply online or in the branch, if that's what you preferred partnered with great data and analytics. So how do we take insights and how do we feed it throughout the process? So if you think about it at that front, we know a lot about you and we have digital tools to learn what we don't have. So we had a simple, easy digital application process to ask you um, a few questions in under five minutes about your need. We then took what we knew about you and used that to streamline our fulfillment processes. So we know where you live. We have your address. We know the approximate value of your home through a lot of different sources. We can estimate your income. We're a bank. We typically have your direct deposit if you're our customer. And we turned it into a seven-day process. We allowed you to, if you had to upload some documents, do it digitally so you didn't have to go into our bank and really simplified the closing process. And so that enabled us to take something that was on average, a 40-day process, make it seven and much better meet the need of the customer through using uh, digital transformation throughout the entire process. You know, to me, an equity line feels like a credit card level transaction. Why isn't it that easy? Why does it require even seven days when I can yeah. swipe my visa, you know, and, and get most of it done? Yeah, great question. So, Historically, in um, in banking, home equity lines were modeled after mortgage processes, and mortgage processes are quite complex. And that has to do with some of the regulation around mortgages, the the role the government plays, um, and so that just really didn't make sense in a modern day in in a home equity sense. 
the reason seven days today is there's still a little bit around understanding the value of your home. Um, you have to sign some documents that by regulation have to be um, sort of completed and, and okay. some uploading. And um, but but much of that we were able to take out because, for example, through Google, you can make sure your home's there. Right. right. You, you yeah, know, there are pictures maps, right? of it. You don't have yeah. to have someone drive by. We've actually seen that digital techniques tend to have better appraisal values than when you insert biases right. through people. So yep. so there's still a little bit in the just the way the regulatory environment works and the way the um, rules around using your home as collateral for a loan that we want to be awfully careful about as a bank. So. A lot of people talk about when you bring in digital uh, to handle routine transactions, routine business processes, uh, you're able to, you know, up value, so to speak, uh, the in-person experience, right? Um, and so have you been able to do that where you, you're banking? If someone walks through the branch doors, uh, are you expecting a different level of interaction than simply either getting the money taking their check, something like that, some basic process. So when I think about digital, I almost hate to say it today. I think you hit it on the on the head. It's not about just that digital interaction. It's about digital enablement of our people in our branches, or it's about digital and en- you know enablement mm-hmm. of the contact center if someone calls or right. uh, oh, wealth exactly. manager. Yeah, it's and not so an app what, anymore. It's, it's not an app. It's it's yeah. end-to-end. And so what we've done is really thought a lot about the piping and the data infrastructure that has to go along with this. So we can get insights about our customers into the hands of the people that are helping them irrespective mm-hmm. of what channel they come in through. And, and we almost talk about one example of that is uh, we have something called citizens checkup. And think about it as you go to the doctor for a medical checkup, you should be able to have a checkup with your bank on how does your financial situation, uh, you know, where are you in your financial si- situation and do you need advice? Well, mm-hmm. we don't expect every banker to just ask questions and give that advice um, on their own each interaction. We have ways to have that be omni-channel. So can you start to engage with us digitally on your checkup? And can you follow up in person, whether virtually or in person in a branch? We provide little insights. So if Beth has somebody who has a daughter who's going to college, how does she start to think about college acceptance and selection and then ultimately financing that education. Um, and so it's it's some of those tools we use across channels to be highly relevant in the moment for our clients across their their needs. Um, describe a cross-channel experience. So uh, I think a, a trigger would be some publicly available data. Let's work with that. Uh, like I just bought a house, yeah. uh, right? And that always raises flags and fills your... <laughs> mailbox with with you know about three trees worth of, of of offers or at least it used to right um so how does that trigger the omni-channel experience because that that's always kind of fascinating to me how you're able to figure out what message when to send it what channel to use and, and how to make it relevant in a timely fashion right so can you kind of dig into that a little bit yeah you know if we just use i just bought a house there are a couple of things we we talk about and think about. So we have what we call a new mover experience. So how do we, one, you probably would get something in your mailbox from us that says, hey, 
you know, you've just bought a house. Now, if, if you're already a customer, you'll get one message versus if you're not a customer, well, we'll introduce citizens to True. you. It may, it may come with an offer. Do you but think we also that's a paper? But is the initial... The initial ask is a piece of paper? Is that- well, we typically don't do anything in one single channel. So okay. if you um, if you are our customer, we may send you something in the mail, but we'll also typically have an email that, okay. that can follow with something similar. And we have similar offers if you walk into a branch. So if we know that you just bought a house and you walk into a branch, this might be a time we actually talk to you about home equity and fast line, as I mentioned, because often people want to remodel or paint or do something differently mm-hmm. um, when they've bought a new home. We'll also look at when you bought the new home, did you also change jobs? Well, if you changed jobs and we're able to see that through information we have, then we might want to talk to you about a 401k rollover. So um, did you think about how to put your 401k into an IRA? And that could be both through um, a you know digital interaction with you where we, we you know give you something through email or even pops up in the mobile app, but also provide that to the branch bankers if you walk in to be able to have that conversation with you in an informed and in, in the right way. So I think it's possible to really use that data. And uh, if you have the pipes, I always said it's easy to get the insight, but you need to have built the pipes to get the information into the channel to be relevant to the customer. And that's something we've worked really hard to build over time. Interesting. I thought it was kind of the opposite where the insights were kind of the difficult part. Um, No, I actually think if that one of the competitive advantages banks have is we have a lot of data. And we have a lot of data on our customers that we are incredibly thoughtful and careful about how we use. And we can talk about that over time. Mm -hmm. But given that we have that information, we're able to be incredibly relevant for them and for our customers. And then the question becomes, how do we make sure we have the ability to get those insights at the right time into the hands of the customer in the way they want it? I'm a mobile app only kind kind of customer. So you've got to be popping that up to me in a container space to say, hey, Beth, learn more about 401k rollover. If we've, we've seen your direct deposit switched uh, from, so, you know, from one job to another. And so it's those piping with the same insights that then feeds back into a loop on what matters to Beth that we use to be highly relevant to me versus to someone else in the... Are you at the point where you could say, well, you know, Alan... Likes to talk to people about, he doesn't really want to read anything else, right? Versus Beth, who prefers to read. You're a reader. You you like doing your own research and then maybe picking up the phone or, or visiting Facebook. Are you able to tell that at this point through your information? So we are on the journey. And in certain cases, yes. In other places, we're still continuing to pipe in that information. But what we're building are closed loops. So I can see over time how you engage with us and how that's different on how I engage with citizens and then be highly relevant to your point on those engagement methods. And Mm -hmm. that has to do with, you have to have a full feedback loop. So if I've given insight to a branch banker and they've talked to you and you didn't find it at all relevant, I don't want to follow up with an email on the same topic because you've already indicated to citizens that that's not what's interesting to you right now. So you have to be able to have a way for that data to come back into the ecosystem to continue Mm -hmm. to feed the messaging. And so that centralized communications platform, um, we did call it personalization, which we'll talk to, but everybody uses that word. So we're kind of moving away to the specifics. It is. And that's really how you do it. You have to have the right 
data infrastructure with the right insights, with the right training and, and personal interactions when needed to have the whole ecosystem working together. Is that easier to do today? Is it Was that even possible 10 years ago? I think the tools are making it easier to get the piping and that model in place where you can be highly relevant with the right time relevancy so that you can ensure that you're more and more answering the questions that our customers want to have. I think where it's becoming increasingly complex, to your point, is we don't want to be bombarded with messages. So we have to have rules in place for how we monitor that holistically. We have a preference database that we use in concert with the data we have to say, well, how do you, you know, do you not want us to call you? You know, that's Mm -hmm. a big one. And and so we have to make sure that we're honoring that, that ask from our customers on how they want to be interacted with from citizens. And, and increasingly we're using new technologies. I know you're, you're a technologist at heart, but how do you use new technologies around data, around um, machine learning, around other places to ensure that you're able to interact in the way our customers want that's most effective for them and for us? Yeah, we're going to obviously talk about AI, right? Yeah. It seems like a particularly useful tool uh, in, in sifting all of this data in a way for it to make sense at the right time so that you can take action on it. There are multiple levels. At the simplest level in this ecosystem we've been talking about, we use um, an arbitration engine at the center to be able to take into account the data we're receiving on our customers across these multiple channels and multiple touch points, in addition to bouncing off some of that the preference table, as I mentioned, to be able to arbitrate what goes out to you and what channel at what time and what day to be highly relevant and effective. And you couldn't do that through just a rules-based person sitting there hitting the button. So that's where I think the technology has really enabled this. And some of the more cloud-based ecosystems for data and modern data has helped us as we've built things like our data intelligence platform over time to be able to tap into that as well. So I think, you know, often the, the not as exciting piece of this tends to be that side, but critical as I talk to peers and others in the industry and getting that ecosystem right to then support more um, sort of the, the higher level, maybe personalization or AI engines that, that are out there as well. Mm-hmm. What's an arbitration engine? It's, it's literally that. It will say, okay, here are six messages that could go to Beth today, but based on, on which we think is the most relevant to her, um, let's make sure we send the right one. Kind of backing up here for a second, I, the question I wanted to ask about the branch experience versus the digital experience. And how do you make them, I guess, equal, um, if that's the right word, depending on the customer? So that because you know green screens are I think still in use. <laughs> I think the last time I sat in a branch, been a while since I've been to my bank. I have to admit, um, but uh, I think there's still green screens out there. So how how does that happen? How does that branch experience get digitized in a way that makes it equivalent to as far as speed, accuracy, uh, frictionless, uh, right, that type of thing, uh, to the digital experience? One of the things we've done at Citizens is we have recently aligned our technology organizations, we call it our delivery organization, to be uh, almost channel agnostic. So our digital leader is also helping develop and technologists our branch infrastructure and technology path so that we're building once and we can leverage across channels. 
So if you think about account opening, for example, I can open an account on an iPad myself. There's no reason I need a very different process in the branch for that account opening. So we're, you were really working hard now to bring those two uh, sets of capabilities together to enable that same seamless experience you might get digitally in our branch ecosystem as well. And it just complements our, our bankers who are great. You know, they, they do a tremendous job supporting our customers. And so we want to make sure that technology infrastructure that supports them is as good as it can be. So has digital just changed the way that you reach out to people or has it given you the ability to actually engage them, engage with them um, interactively today um, versus five, six, seven years ago? I think originally when we talked digital, it was a new way of thinking about how to get information to customers. But today, I think it is a two-way street. It's an interaction capability. I can start a checkup. For example, we talked about that a little earlier on Citizens. I can start digitally, finish digitally if I want to after answering some questions and get advice or move into a physical channel to further that conversation because now I know that that initial um, interaction has given me value and it's worth it to me to continue to pursue and, and follow up with uh, an advisor, rather that, whether that's on wealth, a financial advisor, or in the branch. Five or six years ago, as you said, we, we had lists. Somebody was physically pulling a list at the end of a week saying, hey, you know, these people started a home equity. They didn't finish, whether it was in a branch or or most of our um, sales were in a branch at that time, and then they could do a follow-up call. Today, when you think about the technologies and where they've gone and the interconnectivity across channels, we can do that automatically. So rather than having that human pulling lists, sending it to someone to call, we have the capabilities to understand um, automatically, right? Autom- in an automated way, who started a home equity line? How do they like to interact? And what channel should I follow up in? And, and not, you know, and if they tell me, no, I don't want it, then I have to stop to your point earlier. And, and so those ecosystems of ways to communicate have advanced tremendously in the last five or six years. And that's internal digital transformation on your part by connecting yes. those dots on the back end versus siloed databases, siloed applications, siloed channels, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, what impact did COVID have? on uh, your customer's willingness to engage with you digitally? Where I saw the real difference in banking in COVID uh, from a digital engagement standpoint was really two different places. I will say first, we already had a lot of interactions happening in our, in our digital channels, our mobile app and online banking. But some of those customers who had never done it before suddenly that's how they engaged with us. So it did speed adoption of existing tools. And then the second place on the retail side where I saw a real change was in this ability to have virtual. So it used to be in-person meant I went to a branch and I had an an appointment and we had already launched some tests in virtual like Zoom where, where you can see the person, but it hadn't been adopted widely. Today, we're seeing customers almost feel as good. If I've met someone once, I am absolutely okay the next time I talk to them, doing it through a virtual channel with a virtual advisor, or even Mm -hmm. some individuals to them. That is in person now when you're on a screen talking to someone. So we saw a big shift in customer behavior on that ability to have that personal interaction be virtual 
versus truly in person. And I think that's a big shift, both with our corporate banking uh, clients, as well as our retail clients that are table stakes today. Right. Okay. Um, So let's talk about how up are you on gen AI, generative AI? So I've been spending a lot of time on it, like everybody, over the last two months. Um, as I mentioned, our data and analytics organization is part of my team. So it is one of the areas that uh, that I have been paying a lot of attention to. Okay. Because it seems like a, a really great technology. We'll just, you know, we're going to put aside all of the, you know, the, the doomsayers, which are a lot of yeah. them right now. But it seems like a very good technology to upscale the digital experience or customer experience, right? Uh, if I can talk to a chatbot that actually works, I dread them. Most people probably do, right? Uh, but if I could talk to one that actually works and can give me the answers I'm looking for, um, and then only escalate when there really is an escalation that's needed, uh, that would seem to me to be an excellent use case for generative AI. Yeah, I'm very excited about about the technology as I learn more. Uh, about the potential. I think there's a great deal of potential in what you said, which is how does it interact directly with the customer? Mm -hmm. I also think we'll probably start human on top of AI for generative AI as we kind of step our way in here. But imagine even if I'm a contact center agent and you call me and I get someone in person, if I can get the knowledge immediately that I need by asking a prompt Mm -hmm. to a generative AI tool versus hunting and pecking among screens to get that information right. today. I can right. answer your question in 30 seconds instead of five minutes where we all know that the agent makes small talk and is clicking around and says, Oh, my system's taking a little time today. And we all slow chuckle. Today. It's but, slow today. but you know, a lot of these agents have multiple screens and multiple systems. They're trying mm-hmm. to track things down. And the more unusual your question Yep. the harder it is for them to answer. And I think these tools from a customer experience standpoint in that way will be highly effective and, and really drive productivity of our teams, even when an, you know a human is still in the loop, which is where I feel, especially in banking, where we have a lot of regulations, we'll, we'll tend to start and then over time get to that kind of direct interaction that you're talking about. Interesting. So you provide the, um, uh, the CSR, customer service rep, with the generative AI capabilities first. Yes. Right. Because information retrieval is another killer use case for Gen AI. I mean, I'm using yes. it all the time. Uh, you know, if you go to Bing and through their Edge browser, uh, they've enabled, you know, basically the open AI's chat GPT there. Uh, and it just makes research, you know, a lot easier. Now, it, it still feels very rudimentary, like early days of search. And then, right, I could do the same thing with a fairly simple search query. But I think it, it certainly has, is pointing the way to a future where information retrieval is going to be quite easy, right? Yes. Accuracy always is the issue, but but the actual finding the information, which can take so much time today and be very frustrating, uh, is going to get a lot easier and a lot better. And and the way we're thinking about it is how do you start with a use case on something like information retrieval? And I tend to agree with you that can fundamentally change our productivity across our organization. Mm-hmm. Think about it as a human on top to start, but it has applicability in the contact centers. We said it could be in our commercial bank when we're mm-hmm. creating pitch books. It can be in doing annual credit reviews. They're just our HR team. How do you think about information retrieval from our own colleagues in in researching things and really start to think about those horizontal 
ways we can deploy it if we can get it right in a few places first Mm -hmm. on something like knowledge retrieval and then scale it over time. So, so that's how we're starting to, as we learn more about it, think about it and, and want to deploy it. I will say it may be helpful. We have four work streams as we think about generative AI. One is what we're just talking about now, which is use cases. So, so that's the first for us. And where would we want to, you know, get something as a test that we can later scale as the technology advances. The second is around what's our implementation model for that going to be. So working with Mm -hmm. our technology architects and our data engineers, how and our um, cybersecurity and our our risk partners, you know, how would we plug in and do a use case? Um, The third is all things risk. So we are a bank. How do we think about model governance? How do we make sure we're not running afoul of any fairness rules as we Mm -hmm. implement this stuff? Yeah, mortgage lending, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then the fourth is around talent. And and when I say that, people usually think that's, you know, are you hiring the right data scientists and engineering talent? Mm -hmm. I actually think, you know, that's in short supply today and we'll do that. But it's more on the other side, which is what do you do as a business leader in order to train people how to think about using these tools and where this might go and, and what broader talent implications may it have over the next three to five years on the business. So we're really focused on all four dimensions to prepare us as this gets more a part of our daily lives, more a part of our business over time. Okay. All right. Um, Beth, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. If you like this episode, please tell your friends and check out our other shows. You can find Inside DT on all the major hosting platforms, including Apple, Amazon, Spotify, and Google. Talk to you soon.